Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're in Genesis 32 tonight, and we're going to look at a message called Wrestling with God. Genesis 32. We're going to pick it up at verse 1. And here's the backdrop of the story, because some of you are new to moving through Genesis. Here's what's been going on. Jacob has run from home with an angry brother named Esau. He stole Esau's birthright and his blessing, and Esau's been holding a grudge. Mom overheard Esau say, I'm going to kill my brother, and that's how I'm going to make myself feel better. And so mom heard it and told Jacob, you need to get out of town and get out of town fast. So Jacob, with really nothing, took off and he headed for the area of Mesopotamia. And he went to work for his uncle Laban. While Jacob was there, and he was there a total of 20 years, he ends up with 11 sons. He will have a daughter named Dinah, and then eventually he'll have another son named Benjamin. And he, he works seven years for Leah because he gets tricked by his uncle Laban, or now his father-in-law. He works seven years for Rachel, another six years for the flocks that he gets, and he's spent 20 years in this area of Haran, uh, Ur of the Chaldees, where uh, his grandfather originally made the trek into the land of Canaan or the promised land. And now God's been telling Jacob that it's time to go. It's time to go back home. And so Jacob collects his family, and he knows that it's not going to go well with his father-in-law. And so he tells his wives, it's time for us to go. We need to leave. He packs everything, puts them on camels, and off they go. And they're heading back hundreds of miles to the promised land. But father-in-law Laban finds out what happened, and he pursues them with basically an army. And he finally catches up to them. And Jacob's afraid what his father-in-law is going to do. But his father-in-law has a dream. The night before he's going to confront Jacob, God showed up in a dream and protected Jacob and basically told uh, Laban, "Don't, don't do anything stupid. That's a paraphrase. Don't say anything stupid to him. And so God protected him. And The story ended in the last chapter we were together that they they stacked some stones called a heap of stones. They called it a a witness heap, and they made a covenant together. And basically, they put up a stone marker, and, and Laban said, I won't cross over to hurt you, and you don't cross over this boundary to hurt me, okay? Okay. And they ate a meal around the heap of stones, and it was called a stone of witness, a witness to the covenant that they had made. And so Jacob had to now move on with Laban in his rearview mirror, 20 years of abuse from his uncle, 20 years of manipulation, being overworked, being cold, being uh, hot in the day, hungry. And finally, he was going to leave Uncle Laban. And God had told him to do this, and finally, he was free of that. But even with that freedom, now Jacob was going to move to the next chapter of his life. And he hadn't been home in 20 years. And his mom had told him that when your brother calms down, when he stops having this grudge against you for how you connived him, I will send word to you. The whole 20 years that Jacob was in Haran, he never got word. 
Never got a note from his mom that we can see in Scripture. Never was told that Esau had calmed down. So he had to assume that Esau's grudge never calmed down, that he still bore the grudge in his heart. And when you hold on to hurt for decades, it can often get worse. When we let resentment build up in our hearts, it makes things typically worse, not better. So two decades later now, Jacob has been told by God, and he's finally been released to go home. But Jacob is literally between a rock and a hard place because he doesn't know what to expect when he goes home. And what Jacob is going to have to face now, and I believe that Jacob has largely become a different man over the last 20 years, he's been able to see himself and his uncle Laban. He's been able to see his manipulative ways and how he was wrong. But he doesn't know what to expect when he goes home. He doesn't know what's happened with his brother, and he's going to have to face his own failures. He's going to have to face the consequences of his own sin. Now, maybe you've been at a crossroads in your own life, or maybe you've been there before, where God has done a work in your life, but now that he's done that work, he's asking you to go back and face things that you didn't want to face. Maybe some time has passed. Maybe for you it's been a few years or a few months, maybe even a few days. And now God's saying to you, I've released you, I've taught you some lessons in this foreign land, and now you're going to go back home. But when you go back home, you're going to have to face what you did. And what Jacob had to face was that he had cheated his brother. His name, Jacob, means something like supplanter or conniver, literally heel catcher, one who grabs on to stuff that's even not rightfully his. And so off Jacob went. And Jacob had a heavy heart because he didn't know what to expect. He had seen God do some wonderful things in his life, and he certainly was encouraged by that, but he knew he was going to have to face the music, and it can be very difficult. And here's the thing about Jacob's pivotal moment in life right now. He had nowhere else to go but forward. He couldn't go back. He couldn't cross that boundary marker where that covenant was made. He couldn't go back to Laban. He didn't want to go back to Laban's lies or Laban's old ways. He knew he had to move forward. Now was the time to move forward. But whenever God calls you to move forward and you feel like you have nowhere else to go, you know you must press on in the ways of Jesus Christ towards that upward call in Christ Jesus. It can still be very challenging. But that's what Jacob was facing. And so in in this, call it a crossroads moment of his life, we pick up the story in Genesis 32.1, and it says, now as Jacob went on his way, Genesis 32.1, the angels of God met him. Now that would be an easy scripture to pass by, except for the fact that this is a remarkable moment in scripture. Jacob had had a dream in Genesis 28 of a ladder that reached from the the level of the earth all the way up into the heavens. And you might remember, if you've studied this before, that it was called, or we call it, Jacob's Ladder. And what he saw was angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And the Lord stood above the ladder, and he made a promise to Jacob. And basically, the promise was, Jacob, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to multiply you. And if I could add this, then do you see the activity on this ladder? Something like an escalator from heaven to earth and earth back to heaven. That's how active I am in the world. That's how, I, how involved I am in, in carrying out my word and my promises. And I do it oftentimes, this is the, the message of Jacob's ladder, through angels. 
In fact, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits, Hebrews 1.14. They've come to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Some have even entertained angels, do you remember? Unaware. And I think that's a reference to uh, Abraham, and that's from Hebrews chapter 13. So notice in verse 1, the angels of God met him. This is not just one angel. This is a multitude of angels. This is a group of angels. And we're going to find out it's actually a camp of angels. And at a pivotal moment in Jacob's life, when he was literally between a rock and a hard place, God showed up. And God showed up with an angelic army. And what do you think the message might be to Jacob with a heavy heart, having to face his past failures, having to face his angry brother? What, what, what do you think the message was? Jacob, I'm with you. I showed you that vision of the ladder in your dream, and now I'm showing you through this practical appearance of angels that I'm with you. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. The word means double or dual camp. We're going to see that in a second. Jacob immediately realized that this was something divine. He immediately realized that these were messengers and maybe they, they looked similar to what he had seen in the dream of Jacob's ladder. And he said, this is God's camp. Do you remember when he originally saw the ladder, he called the place, extra credit Bible students, what did he call the place? Bethel, right? And that is, this is the house of God. God was here and I didn't even know it. And now, with a more visible manifestation of angels, he says, this is God's camp. Jacob had to set up camp. He was traveling. He was, he was living in tents. But now God says, look, I'm here. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. If you're taking notes, Psalm 34, 3 through 8 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Jacob literally got to realize the promise of Psalm 34. And it wasn't just the angel of the Lord, and that would have been enough because the angel of the Lord is often a direct reference to Jesus in the Old Testament or the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament, what's called a Christophany or a theophany. But here's what Jacob could know. At a crossroads moment in his life, God was with him. When the attendant of the man of God had arisen early and gone out, 2 Kings 6.15, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When we can't see what God is up to, he is still faithful to his promises. 
Angels are very involved in the Bible, and a couple of places that relate to this is in the ministry of Jesus himself. This is Mark 1, 12 and 13. It says, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with a wild beast, and the angels were ministering to him. That's Mark 1, 13. And after Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, 41 through 44, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and began to pray. He said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven, Luke twenty-two forty-three, appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat become, became like drops of blood falling to the ground. At many pivotal moments in life, God seems to dispatch angels. We may not always recognize it, but some people have shared stories where they think maybe it was an angel. We don't always know for sure, but God has his ways of getting us where he wants us to be. Jacob sent messengers, look at verse three, before him to brother Esau, to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now this is where eventually Esau ends up and all the Edomites come from Esau. The area of Edom is modern-day Jordan, that area. So just that's where Esau ends up settling, the brother of Jacob. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob. Now remember, he hasn't seen him for 20 years. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. When you do a little homework on where Jacob had to travel, traveling from the area of Haran and Mesopotamia back to the promised land, which is the land of Israel, it's debatable whether or not he really had to cross over land that was actually the possession of Esau. Some scholars say that this was kind of like a preventative uh, thing where he was trying to get ahead of a problem and he figured he was going to run into Esau and therefore he was going to have to appease him. And other scholars say that the motivation of Jacob is not geographical, it's spiritual. That he probably wasn't going to cross paths with Esau, but the reason that he sent the servant with this message to his brother is because he wanted to make amends for what he had done to his brother. So this is not the necessity of geography as much as it, is, as it is the necessity of a heavy heart. Sometimes when we grow in Christ, hopefully this is always true of us, we start to reflect on past mistakes that we've made. I do not believe that God wants us to stay stuck there. I don't believe that God brings things to mind that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago for us to just grovel in you know, the mistakes we made. But I do believe that sometimes God gives us a different perspective of our past once we've become maturer Christians. Everybody with me? And then you look at your past and you go, oh my goodness. What I couldn't see back then, I now see. What I couldn't see when I was here, but now that I'm here in life, now I can get a clearer picture of what a mess I made, how selfish I was, and what I had done to my brother. And Jacob was able to see that in 
Laban, his uncle, being right in front of him and ripping off his, his wages, changing them 10 times, switching daughters on his wedding night, he was able to see himself in his uncle, and it wasn't pretty what he saw. And so it may be that what actually drove Jacob to send these gifts to his brother was the desire to make amends. Now, some Bible commentators have said that when you watch the actions of Jacob in this chapter, you will see a way to make amends with people. One of the things that I think where it starts is always in your heart. If God's putting a past situation on your heart to make right, you want to pray about it, and certainly you want to make sure you're being led by the Spirit, but then you want to humble yourself. Jacob uses what we might call self-effacing terms. He calls Esau, my Lord. He says, I'm your servant. If I found favor in your sight, he's, he's humbling himself before his brother. Now, we know by all rights, Jacob is actually the one that Esau's supposed to serve. Esau is older, but Jacob's been given that position of authority. And yet, Jacob humbles himself because I think what Jacob wants to do is make amends with his brother. We could call this a positive payback. He's going to send some gifts ahead to his brother. And the messengers, verse 6, returned to Jacob and said, We came to your brother Esau, so they found him. And furthermore, he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Now, Jacob must have been, you know, really heartened by the fact that the servant said, Hey, we found your bro. And, uh, okay, well, what's the news? And <laughs> here's what the servants say. Uh, well, he's got 400 men with him, and he's coming in this direction. Now, if you were Jacob and you knew that your brother had been bearing a grudge for some two decades, some 20 years, and now you know he has what would be considered by historians the size of a small militia, what would you be thinking? In Scooby language, it would be rut row. <laughs> or real fraggy. Thank you. And if you want the laugh, it's <laughs> Okay, anyway. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do do side work if you uh, want to talk to me later. 400 men. Oh, my goodness. Well, the reaction in verse 7 is understandable. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So Jacob does something very human. We don't blame him. He's got a huge family. He's got all these flocks and herds. He's got male and female servants. He's got children and wives he's concerned about. He says, well, maybe my best shot is for us to split up. And if Esau finds one of our groups and he wipes us out, maybe the other group will survive. Can you imagine having thoughts like that? Can you imagine being with your family and saying, we're going to have to split up because I know that we're probably going to be attacked and I'm hoping that one of the two groups will somehow survive this? Well, that's what it's come down to for Jacob. And Jacob did something very smart. Maybe he should have done this first, but Jacob will pray. This is the first recorded prayer that we have of Jacob in the book of Genesis. I'm not saying he never prayed before, but this is the first one where we have the words of the prayer. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, 
God of my father Isaac. He is calling upon the name of the covenant God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in that covenant with God, the Abrahamic covenant. O Lord, who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Jacob says, I am unworthy, verse 10, of all the loving kindness and all of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. He was a shepherd, and kind of like Moses, that's all he had. No possessions when he first came to Uncle Laban. And now I've become two companies. Jacob is basically saying, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for all that you've done for me. John the Baptist said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of your sandals. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my household. Do you remember the, was the, the publican praying in Luke 18? Says, be merciful to me, a sinner, as he beats his chest. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. You know, David, I think, said something similar. I'm unworthy of all the blessings that you've given to me, Lord. I want to build you a house. And God said, David, I'm going to build you a house. And I can stand here and tell you this on a night like this when, you know, we've done a pastor's appreciation and tell you I'm unworthy of what God's done for me in the last quarter of a century. He has been so good to me. And, you know, for me to look back on, uh, you know, they made me at a church in Orange, they made me an elder when I was 26 years old. I don't know what they were thinking, to be perfectly honest with you. I was a very zealous believer, but I was very immature. And yet, that church allowed me to do ministry, and God has been faithful, and he certainly taught me a lot of lessons along the way. But I feel that way all the time. I'm unworthy for the blessings that you've bestowed upon me, Lord. And then Jacob says, deliver me, I pray from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. I'm afraid for me, I'm afraid for my family. For thou didst say, I will surely prosper you, and that's a good way to pray. Remind God of promises he's made to you in the Bible, right? God, you said this, and I'm gonna stand on it. And you said, I will prosper you. You said, I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob's basically saying, if Esau destroys us now, if he wipes out my family, God, how will these promises that you've made come true? You told me I'm going to have all these descendants. You told me that we're going to bless all the families of the earth. How will this happen unless you are faithful? I think Jacob could be summed up in this way. Lord, I believe, but... Help my unbelief, Mark 9, 24. I believe your promises, and I'm going to stand on them right now, but with 400 men coming from what I, last I knew, is a very spiteful brother, I am fearful, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen. And remember, just what just happened to Jacob is he saw this whole company of angels. You might be thinking, wasn't that enough? I've never seen an angel before, let alone a whole company of them. Why doesn't Jacob have confidence? Have you ever gone from a real spiritual high like in a church service or maybe you just witnessed to somebody or you broke through a threshold in your Christian life and you're thinking, man, I'm doing great. And then the next moment, and you're like, man, I just saw a company of angels 20 minutes ago. What happened to me? It doesn't take much sometimes for us to fall on our face. And so Jacob spent the night there, verse 13, and he selected from what he had with, a, with him a present for his brother Esau. Now look at this list. 200 female goats, 
20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm sorry I added that. Partridge part. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves of the herds in IV. And he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong? And where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? By the way, in my count, well over 500 animals. He's offering. Jacob is a wealthy, a seriously wealthy man at this point. He's got a number of possessions that God has blessed him with. As we look at Genesis chapter 32, we see Jacob having to deal with his past. And this time, he's going to be pursued by his brother Esau. And years have gone by, but Esau still is holding a grudge in his heart against Jacob. Hosea 12 verses 3 through 5 tell us, In the womb, he, that is Jacob, took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel, or the angel of the Lord, and prevailed. And he wept and sought his favor, and found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. So as Jacob uh, has to really face his brother, his past, and he has Laban chasing him on one hand, and Esau coming with you know, men on the other and he's really between a rock and the hard place and, and really his manipulative ways in, in, in many ways have caught up to him. And now he's going to have a night where he's wondering what's going to happen. You know, is his brother going to try to kill him and his family and all that belongs to him? And that night is that family, famous wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. And Jacob wrestled with this man or this angel or the Lord himself all night long and he wouldn't let go and Jacob you know he was going to be wounded in this wrestling match he was going to wrestle with God and oh he prevailed in one sense in that he got the blessing but he didn't prevail in another sense man he he had a limp really for the rest of his life and God touched him but touched him in a way where he was he was hurt and wounded, and yet he would never forget. And I think God was affirming, as we see in this teaching, that I am going to give you the blessing. I am going to be true to my word. I am going to get you from point A to point B. My good plan will be worked out. And as we look at the name Israel, we look at the name that God gives to Jacob. You shall no longer be Jacob. You will be called Israel and I think good scholarship makes the case that Israel means God prevails. You know, we can, we can fight God. Maybe you've been wrestling with God. Maybe you have sensed that God has a calling on your life, but man, you've been trying to push it away and, and manipulate your way. And now you're between a rock and a hard place and you're wondering what's going to happen. And the only way that we have sometimes to look folks when we're on our back, especially is to look up. And that's what Jacob did that night. And he wrestled with God and he found out that God prevails. In fact, his name became Israel. Some say governed by God, but maybe best defined God prevails. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org 
and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at LivingTruthCorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.